You are listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Conversations about business, politics, government, education, and so much more. Now, here is your host, Ambassador Delano Lewis. Welcome to Fly on the Wall podcast, Conversations with Ambassador Delano Lewis. I am Delano Lewis, and today I have a very good friend, a accomplished business person, an astute politician, a good friend, the former governor of Virginia, the former head chair of the National Democratic Committee, my great friend, Terry McAuliffe. Terry, welcome to Fly on the Wall podcast. Yeah, great to be back with you, my man. Congratulations on the new podcast. Well, thank you. We're very excited about it. Uh, Our listeners uh, wanted to hear conversations with successful people, and I couldn't think of a better person to have than Terry McAuliffe. Tell me a little bit about your background. We know that you have been a governor and head of the Democratic Committee and lots of other things, Uh, but tell us a little bit about those early days. I've had a fascinating life, born, raised in Syracuse, New York. Started my first business, Dell, when I was 14 years old. In order to go to college, I was going to have to pay for it. McAuliffe Driveway Maintenance. Very proud I started sealing driveways. And then when I was 15, I moved into doing parking lots. And in order to do parking lots, you needed a big uh, truck to haul the big barrels, uh, 55-gallon barrels of tar around. And so I went out, got myself a truck. I remember bringing it home, got it from my Uncle Billy, who owned a dairy, drove it home on Interstate 81, fixed it up. I had no driver's license. I had no license plate, <laughs> but I was an entrepreneur, and I drove by the uh, North Syracuse State Police Station. They're out front having coffee. I'm hitting my horn. I'm waving, you know, and that's how it all got started. Had a great upbringing up in, up in Syracuse and came down, went undergraduate at Catholic and law school at Georgetown, so that's what actually brought me to the region Right, and uh, absolutely loved it. And then got married uh, 30 years ago. I've been married to Dorothy for 30 years. We had our first of five children. And at that point, we wanted uh, some land and kids could run around. We could throw football and wiffle balls around. So we moved out to Virginia and literally have lived in Virginia since 1992. Uh, but I've had a fascinating life. I've been an entrepreneur. I've started uh, almost three dozen companies. I've been in everything from banking, insurance, hotels, real estate, home building, uh, I know what it is to be an entrepreneur, to see the ups and downs. They don't always work. You learn by it. But I've never worked for anyone down my whole life. I like it that way. I like to just sort of put it on the line and give it the best you got and got active in politics at a very young age. We're going to go. We're, we're definitely going to talk about your political career. I want to go back to the business for just one second. Did you get your driver's license? Because I don't want our listeners to know that, uh, you know, certainly Governor McAuliffe applied you know, followed the law. Now, did you get that driver's license in those early days? Well, I'll be honest, Rita, since the statute of limitations is long, long gone, um, for the first uh, six to months to a year, I was actually, I had, but listen, I was a young entrepreneur. I, you had to buy this tar in huge 55-gallon uh, barrels, gigantic. You wow. know, they're three feet tall and about three feet wide, and you put this hot, heavy sludge uh, into them, and you needed a big truck to carry the tar to do the parking lot. So I didn't have an option. I remember, yeah, like it was yesterday. I called my uncle Billy, and I said, Uncle Billy, I need a truck. I'm going big. I did park, I did driveways my first year, and I had all these people working for me, and 
I'm now doing park lots. I'm going big. Now, you got to remember, I'm 15 years old. That's incredible. I had, I had business cards printed up. I made my mother answer the phone at home, a call of driveway maintenance. <laughs> and he said, well, yeah, I got a bunch of old dairy trucks. You know, we've abandoned. They're out in a big junkyard out in North Syracuse. We'll go out someday. I said, no, Uncle Billy, I need it today. I got orders. I got jobs. I got to get the tar. <laughs> he said, we're not going today. He said, I'm busy. Uh, but he had told me North Syracuse, so uh, I was an entrepreneur. I got my buddy Joey Hardnett, and we got some gas, spark plugs, and and some oil, and we drove out to North Syracuse, and I found where the Burnberry graveyard of trucks were about 30 of them out there. Big, wow. huge trucks. And I looked at the one. I found the one I wanted, and I worked on it for, I guess we worked on it for two or three hours. And the grass was two feet high. And, Dal, I remember this day when I climbed in those big, you know, the driver's seat way up tall. When I got in top of that driver's seat, and I put the key was in, and when I turned, and that ignition, you and the, on top of the world. I'm telling you, I still get goosebumps. I bet. When I think about, it was the biggest day of my life, and I'm telling you, I drove out of that field, and I hit the highway, and I never looked back. And, you know, ultimately, <laughs> uh, we got we put license plates. I had to get license plates on it right away. We got license plates, but I'll be <laughs> honest with you. I'm not going to lie. I'm an honest guy. Um, probably for six, eight, nine months, we were driving without a license. <laughs> but I was only <laughs> driving to work. I was only driving to the parking lots. Well, that's an incredible story. The reason I wanted to talk a little bit more about it, because uh, Gail and I have been married uh, 58 years, and we have uh, four sons and 11 grandchildren, and the, the four sons are all entrepreneurs. And yeah, I, just, I just love that story. And now we, with those 11 grandchildren, the oldest grandson just bought a truck, and he's involved with roofing and contracting, and he worked with uh, his grandmother, Gail, uh, and they worked on a deal on, on getting his new truck. And that just happened. He, li- he works uh, outside D.C. in Maryland. So I hope he's listening and he will hear an incredible story of uh, your beginnings uh, yeah. in that business. Uh, that's fantastic. Yeah, it was fun. And then, you know, I was the youngest bank chairman in American history. I became a bank chairman at 30, Federal City Bank in Washington, D.C. I mean, you know, a lot of my buddies, Dave Wilmot, Art McZeer, had a lot right. of buddies on that bank board with me. It was a lot of fun. And, you know, as I've um, put the group together, bought the Phoenix Park Hotel where the Dubliner is in Washington. So I, I take a little credit with Danny Coleman. I actually saved the Dubliner. If we hadn't bought the hotel, they were not going to renew the lease. So every wow. time, Dell, you go into the Dubliner and you hoist a pint of Guinness, Guinness <laughs> I want you to thank Terry McAuliffe. I certainly will. I think about you a lot. You did home okay, building. Good. You did hotel ownership. Uh, you yeah. were also in telecom, if I remember. Um, yeah, a lot of telecom. Early, I was in the telecom, the reselling. Sold that business quite a few years ago. I bought a bankrupt company out, out of Florida and turned it into one of the biggest home builders in Florida. We built 6,000 homes. Sold the company to KB Homes uh, about six years after I bought it, fixed it up. I mean, I enjoy, I enjoy doing all that stuff. And, and you've been very successful at it. That's what's uh, yeah. incredible. Yeah. Uh, I, but also, I tell young people, you're not always, I tell young people all the time, you're not always going to be successful. You're going to hit bumps in the road. And right. it's okay. You know, a lot of critics out there, forget that, you know, as Teddy Roosevelt said, you know, the man who's got that sweat on his face and uh, understands the things you go through to be successful in life. But, you know, try it. If it doesn't work, you get knocked down, shake yourself up, get up the next day and get back at it. That's the way to go. Uh, yeah. There was one other business I saw in in looking at your background is forward looking was green tech automotive was tell us a little bit about that. I was recruited to come into a company 
that was going to build uh, electric vehicles. It was right. an exciting endeavor. There were about 20, 30 companies that started. Our goal was, you know, because President Obama, remember, had called for, what, a million electric cars on the road. And, you know, it was an exciting time. I got recruited into the company. We worked hard. I left the company in tw- in 12. They continued on. They actually lasted for about five more years after I left. And then they sold most of their assets off, I believe, and now they're being manufactured, I think, over in China today. The the electric market didn't take off here in America the way we actually thought it would. Right. It's taken time. I, uh, Tesla has, well, <laughs> he, he had a couple billion dollars. Um, <laughs> right. But he's making progress. But, you know, they're about the only model. But, you know, at some point we're going to get there. So, But it was a fun adventure. I got brought in and helped recruit it to come in and do it. And, you know... Uh, it was one of the fun things I've actually worked on. And you're out of that business now, but you may come back one day. I don't, you know, listen, I always keep my options open. I love, I've been passionate about anything that relates to renewable energy. I have been investors early on in solar fields and uh, I've done turbine projects around the globe. Uh, that's why electric vehicles sort of fit into that mix. But I, you know, that is the wave of the future. I mean, and, so I've loved, as I say, solar. I've been very active in wind projects all over the globe. I've done business all over the world. That's fantastic. Uh, I really enjoy it. Well, that's great. I, this would lead to one of the things I wanted to chat about. I, uh, your background is incredible. You were uh, quoted as saying politics in, and business is interrelated. I think that yeah. was one of your quotes. Now, we've talked yeah. about business, and you think politics is certainly related. Tell us your thoughts about that. Well, in, in, in the end, well, first of all, as you know, I also was the chairman of the Democratic National Committee, and I got elected in 2001. The party was bankrupt. It right. all, you know, it been after the Gore election, and we won't go through that, but Gore won the election. We didn't get the prize. But, right. you know, so I went into the party. I got us out of debt for the first time in the history of the National Party. I ran it like a business. I said, this is, you know, this is a billion-dollar enterprise and uh, I was very proud, rebuilt, built a whole new spank of new headquarters, uh, new TV facilities, new radio, paid off the mortgage, no debt for the first time in the party's history. But what I was most proud of is I started the party's first voter file. We did not have a national voter file at the Democratic National Committee. Wow. Republicans had one that they used extensively uh, during the Bush v. Gore election, and we did not have one. So I worked with the state parties, got all of them to come together to give the national party the data. Uh, so I built also the party's first small dollar uh, donor base. We did not have one. And in my four years as chairman, I think we raised about $350 million small donors, direct mail and, you know, what is the precursor to what the Internet fundraising is today. Right. So my point is that, you know, you have to run it like a business. And the more successful you are running like a business, the actual more people will actually contribute and the more you can actually help candidates. There's no question. Like the way you're doing it. You also erased the debt during that time, too, if I understand. We did. As I say, the party had always habitually been in debt. And, and listen, I'd come with a business background, uh, and I went in the party. I didn't, I'm the first chairman not to take any pay. I said, I'm not going to take my pay. I'm certainly not going to take a paycheck from someone, elderly woman, sending her crumpled up dollar bills in to protect Social Security, the DNC. So... <laughs> I went in, and, and listen, I had been, as you know, the biggest fundraiser in the history of the party for many years. I know. So since I was raising all the money, I had the ability to say, no, we're going to do it this way. We're going to change the way we operate. We're not going to operate in the debt, debt deficit anymore. And so I did. I eliminated the party's debt, eliminated the mortgage. As I say, built 
ran a huge capital campaign to build the new headquarters and all did it all with cash, no debt at all. And when I left the party and handed it over to Howard Dean, uh, for the first time in the history of chairman handed over party debt free and millions of dollars in the bank and a small donor base that would generate billions of dollars for many years to come. So I was very proud of the, the way we changed how the party was done. Well, you should be proud. That's an extremely successful story. Uh, I just want to sidestep for a moment. When you mentioned Gore didn't win, uh, he won, but we didn't get the prize. I, I just want to talk about that for just one second, because that brought back so many memories to me. Uh, I was appointed U.S. ambassador, nominated by President Clinton, and, and served uh, as U.S. ambassador to South Africa. And I was there, 1999, 2000 election came, and I was busy trying to show South Africans at that time how our process works, democratic process elections. And I did a whole thing on that, and we stayed up late trying to figure out what was happening with the Bush and Gore election. And the thing that just disillusioned me was it went all the way to the Supreme Court, and it appeared that that was a very political a uh, 5-4 decision, and that really was disillusioning to me as a lawyer. And I know you're a lawyer, I'm a lawyer. Uh, yep. It's not supposed to work that way. Do you, do, no. do you see, did you see it that way? I did. It, it brings back memories when you say that Clinton appointed you in 99 to be ambassador over to Africa. Um, President Clinton appointed me to be the ambassador to the court of St. James in England. Wow. I would have been the second Irishman in the history of England, the first, of course, being Joe Kennedy. Right. All excited about it, ready to go. And I had chaired a big fundraiser for Vice President Gore. We honored uh, Clinton, and we did it. The benefit went, uh, receipts went to Vice President Gore. We raised $26.3 million one night, biggest ever. Gee. It was a blue bash at the MCI arena then. And the vice president calls me the next day. I, of course, think to thank me for the great fundraiser we just done. He said, no, thank you for that. However, the city of L.A. has reneged on all the money for the convention. We had the convention going to the Staples Arena in Los Angeles, and they had walked away from all their financial pledges that they made to us. We couldn't get engineers. We couldn't get electricians to move into the Staples Arena. So the vice president said, would you move out to L.A. and take over and become chairman of the convention? So instead of going to that beautiful home over in Regent's Park in England with my family and my two dogs, uh, I ended up moving to L.A. and, you know, we actually saved the convention. But whatever. Uh, But I always thought Gore would win, so we'd reload and I'd be back, so it didn't really matter. But anyways, uh, it bothered me, 2000. Yes. A lot of things in that campaign. That was probably one of the worst, not the worst. We've had some very bad ones, Dred Scott and other. We can spend all day talking about that. But literally, one of the worst Supreme Court decisions, basically what they said, state law controls voting, as you know, as governor, I control the election board. You know, you you control your state and how the voting is done. Florida, I mean, as you know, it was 500 vote difference. And Mm -hmm. every day, Gore was picking up more out of millions cast. So Florida wanted, he was entitled to an automatic recount. We should have done the whole state. And they were moving to that and counting the votes. And the Supreme Court shut down a state from counting, counting their the votes. votes in a presidential election. And their reasoning, as you know, was a cockamamie reasoning by the Supreme Court. 5-4, it was a political decision. Right. It was a disgrace to the United States Supreme Court. Al Gore should have been in the White House. But put that aside, the idea that this is the greatest democracy in the world, they made us a laughingstock on the world stage. Yes, I, I and thank you for that, because I talked about that in speeches when they shut down the voting. That's the part that I just couldn't understand. 
because yeah, they shut United down States the voting. Yes, yeah. no question. Well, yeah. I, I, I'm, you know, you see it the way I saw it for sure. Uh, move on because you became governor of the state, great state of Virginia, uh, in yep. 2014, and uh, had a tremendous term. They only have what one term, uh, four-year yep. terms in Virginia. So you served from 2014 to 2018, and you made some tremendous progress on the legislative front as governor oh, yeah. of Virginia. Incredible. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you. If you look back, when I, had, when I took office in January, uh, I inherited uh, one of the biggest deficits in Virginia history, left to me by my predecessor, a $2.4 billion debt, which was tough. I'll be honest right. with you. I thought I'd go in and, you know, we'd have a surplus and we can do what we needed to do. But we got to work. And my whole, when I ran for governor, it was all about jobs, 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 building the new Virginia economy. Because as you know, Dell, Virginia is the number one recipient of Department of Defense dollars. Such no that question. When sequestration hit, I mean, we've got the largest naval base in the world. We have the Pentagon, the CIA, 27 military installations, Quantico. So sequestration really uh, was a gut kick to us and hurt our economy. My whole message is I'm going to build a new economy and we're going to thrive. And that's what we got to work. And I worked in a bipartisan way with my legislature. We, I inherited a huge debt. I left a gigantic surplus when I left office. We created hundreds of thousands of new jobs. Unemployment went from 5.4 down to 3.6 to the point that we had so many jobs. Uh, I did the largest investment in K-12, a billion dollars in Virginia history. Rebuilt the economy, number one state cybersecurity, number one state for data, data analytics, number one state for unmanned aerial to drones. We are a new economy, and that's the reason we got Amazon uh -huh. and when I left office. But I also, Dell, I will tell you, I had 120 vetoes. I had the most of any <laughs> governor in Virginia history. The Republicans continuously passed really anti-women, anti-gay, the worst legislation. You cannot recruit Amazon, Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Salesforce. They will not come to a state that discriminates. And we had to end it. If you remember, Virginia had, before I, year before I took office, they had that horrible transvaginal bill, if you remember, which made Virginia a laughing stock. Mm -hmm. They had crap laws, which were going to shut down our women's clinic. We ended all that. When yeah, I left you, off, when Virginia you was open when, and welcoming. Go ahead. Open and welcoming to everybody. And that's why we got Amazon. We won Amazon Web Services. Why I was able to recruit Nestle Corporation from L.A. to move back. That's why we've got all these big uh, Microsoft and Google, huge operations in Virginia. Open and welcoming business-friendly, huge investments in education, $10 billion in road projects we did. You know, we're humming, absolutely humming. There's no question. And not only the fact that you were an accomplished business person, you made a tremendous amount of uh, progress on the economic development front, but you did a lot of things on the social front, uh, gender yeah. equality, voting yeah. rights for felons, yeah. uh, health care reform, incredible social legislation as well. Yeah, I mean, listen, I pride myself very you know, very jobs and, and uh, personal income also Dell went up 12.5% in my four years, which I was very proud of, uh, which is, you know, it's not only jobs, but they're high wage jobs, but I had to lean in and stop, as I say, uh, that social agenda from the other side, because that is crippling to job creation. But I traveled the globe. I was the most traveled governor in America. I went on 35 trade missions to five continents to bring back $20 billion of new capital which was $7 billion more than any governor before, and built the new economy. But also, my proudest moment, though, Dale, I'll be honest with you, 
was April 22nd, uh, 2016, when I stood on our Capitol and restored the rights of 206,000 felons to give right. them their right to vote back. Right. I you remember that. In 40 states, Dell, it's automatic, but not in the southern states. These mm-hmm. are remnants of Jim Crow. I stood in the Capitol where in 1902, a state senator put it in our Constitution, and he said his quote that day, I am doing this to eliminate the darky from being a political factor in Virginia. Wow. Well, they're a new sheriff in town 114 years later, and I got to sign <laughs> that order. And, you know, the Republicans sued me, took me to the state Supreme Court, uh, said I didn't have the authority, and the court ridiculously ruled against me the first time, said, we're not going to let him do it because no governor's done it before. Well, that's not a constitutional theory. And they said he has to do it individually. And I said, fine, I'll do it individually. Give me all 206,000 petitions. I'm going out to the Civil Rights Memorial in front of the governor's office. I'm going to sign every one myself. <laughs> they rushed to the court, sued me for contempt of court, and I won that case. And now there are 173,000 felons who are now full citizens of the Commonwealth of Virginia. It's about dignity. It's about respect. And it was the right thing to do. That's fantastic. Congratulations on that. I know uh, Florida just did the very same thing in uh, restoring voting they, rights Yeah, they didn't felons. do it through the governor. They did right. it actually through a state through referendum. State. Right. Yeah, which we could never do in Virginia. The Republican mm-hmm. legislature would, you know, you have to pass the legislature first before you go to referendum. Right. The only option I had was to do executive authority. That's great. And you were very successful. Well, which leads to what's happening now in Virginia. I know across this country and probably the world, people are looking and listening as to what's going on on the political scene with the governor uh, who's under a cloud with uh, a yep. dark face and Ku Klux Klan picture in his medical school yearbook with the lieutenant governor who's facing uh, sexual abuse allegations and the attorney general who uh, volunteered the fact that he had been in blackface uh, some years uh, yep. in the past. Uh, what's going on? What's your... what? What do you see happening there and the resolution for these issues and the governance uh, in Virginia? You know, I got to tell you, Dale, I am just heartbroken. I'm sick to my stomach. When I left that governorship in January of 2018, you know, we were a red state. You know, all three right. state lines were Republicans. I only had 32 Democrats in my House of Delegates. When I left the office, we controlled everything, all those state lines. We picked up 17 House of Delegate seats, the most in 144 years. We were a blue state, blue as blue could be, and felt good that we'd win right. the House and Senate this year. And then you have, unfortunately, these issues that have arisen, and I just can't, I, I'm, I'm heart sick over it, and you just feel like you've been kicked in the gut. It's well, just hard to even describe. Where do you think you're going? Because I saw that you came out fairly early saying that uh, the governor should step down and, and the lieutenant governor should step down. Uh, what, what's happening? Well, I came out Friday night because on Friday night, as you know, the governor had come out on Friday night and said that he was in the photo. Right. And he didn't know which one he was, but he was in the photo, which I, I, you know, I, I just, to me, you either put blackface on or you you put a hood on Mm -hmm. and you put it in your yearbook. That to me is unacceptable. You cannot be the governor of the Commonwealth of Virginia with the racial history that we have had in Virginia. Right, uh, you know, with the the, the very large African American population, it would be very hard to govern to bring your Commonwealth together with that. And so that's when I came out Friday night. Saturday, he then comes out and says, "No, no, 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 I wasn't in it, mm-hmm. and I didn't know it was in my yearbook." So, you know, but 
hard to reconcile. I don't think Ralph is going anywhere. I think he's going to stay there. That's what he said. It's not an impeachable offense. So I think he's got to, what he has to do now is really double down, and uh, he's got to earn the trust of the Virginia voters back again. Now, he said, that he, was, he said that he was going to tour the state and start talking about racial harmony and racial equality, et cetera, and a person that from this vantage point, and he's apologized for, for all of this, and he thinks that he'd be a good person to bring people back together. Do you think he can do that? I think he has to for, for the sake of the Commonwealth, but— you know, I'm fine he's going to do the reconciliation tour, but what's more important are your actions. Right. And, you know, as governor, you have a tremendous amount of executive authority. I used executive authority, as you know. I just talked about to restore the rights of the felons. I used executive authority to take the Confederate uh, flag off of Virginia license plates. Mm-hmm. I did a record amount of pardons for people who had been unduly sentenced to extreme uh, sentences. That, to me, is more important than going around doing a reconciliation tour. Lean in on the things that matter to the African-American community to make their lives better. Use your executive authority. Um, And that, to me, is more important. And I think it's fine if he goes around and meets with folks and they talk. But, you you know, I'm a man of action and do things. So you want to see some action on his part. Which leads to the lieutenant governor. You also came out saying that uh, the lieutenant governor, uh, Justin Fairfax, yep. should also step down with facing the at least two uh, sexual abuse allegations. Um, right. What's happening yep. there? And so, I mean, you have two women, very credible uh, allegations. One, you know, from both coasts of our country have come out. And the point is, as the leaders of the state, you are also the moral leaders of the state. Right. And it comes to be a point down where it's hard to govern and you mm-hmm. can't bring folks together. And I'm very close to all of these folks. But at some point, it's not about you, not about the Democrat or Republican Party. It's about our state, it's about eight and a half million people. Mm-hmm. And there are people who are counting on you every single day to govern, to lead, to grow. And when these types of allegations are out there, fair or unfair, it is very hard to do your job, to be the spiritual leader and to do what you need to do to be successful, you know, as the leader of the state. And it's hard. And these are decisions that they're going to have to make. The governor's going to have to decide if he's going to stick it out. It yep. appears that he is. Uh, the yep. lieutenant governor says that, you know, I'm going to contest this. He's yep. denying these. So it yeah. really it really rests with them, and the attorney general has come out and volunteered this information and don't hear much about what's happening in that impact. But you're right. If their actions are going to be very important as to whether or not they've got the credibility to govern. But the other piece is, and you're, the, you're, you're an astute politician, it's going to impact democratic politics. Am I right? No question. Uh, absolutely. And, and, and let's be clear. Blackface is wrong. Right. At any time. No question. Uh, it's just plain wrong. Just as I felt that the Confederate flag was so offensive to the African-American community, they shouldn't be on our license plates right. in Virginia. Um, it's wrong that the African-Americans are trapped differently in sentencing. And mm-hmm. so the end result is this will have an impact on, you know, I mean, listen, the Republicans, this is a tough business we're in. You know the right. ads they're going to run. It does probably inhibit the ability for people to raise money, to give money. 
Um, I think it makes it hard. You know, I'm going to have to probably lean in more than I'd anticipated. I've been talking to Senator Warner and Senator Kane. I think we're going to have to pick up uh, some of the slack and raising money and through my pack and other things. But, uh, but let's be clear too, Dell. And I want to make the point here. <laughs> you know, we just had <laughs> the Republican nominee uh, in Virginia for the United States Senate, Corey Stewart. Mm-hmm. who literally wrapped the Confederate flag around his body. And if Traveler, you know, Robert E. Lee's horse was still alive, he would have jumped on Traveler and ridden around the state of Virginia. Right. Uh, the year before, he had Ed Gillespie, who ran a racist campaign, as you know, for governor. Mm-hmm. Um, so I want to be clear here, where we have had mistakes and so forth, but you look at the history of the Democratic Party and the things that we have actually done, please put that in context. Uh, for any of the Republicans who are going to try and take advantage. I mean, I fought like, a, you know, they sued me on restoration rights. Republican Speaker and Senate sued me to try and stop people from getting their voting rights back. Just remember that. Right. I tried to, for four years, lift the felony threshold. I tried to make it $1,000. It was $200. $200 in Virginia. Mm-hmm. You steal an iPhone, you're a felon in Virginia. So, you know, I had four years of battling uh, against a Republican legislature. So I do remind everybody, let's keep that in context, too. You look at what our party has done. You look at the gains that we have made in Virginia uh, over the course of the last 30 years and put that against the Republican Party. I just ask all of your listeners to think about that. Well, I'm sure they will, which 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 brings to mind, uh, you sound very much like a person who is concerned about what's happening in Virginia, but you're also concerned about the U.S. and it sounds very broadly that you're interested maybe in 2020. Uh, have you made a decision about running for president of the United States? Because uh, I, I've said, no, I'm, I said by March 31, I'll make a decision. I've gone, I'm going through the process. I'm reaching out to people. And my point is, listen, you don't just run for president. This is a hard process that you go through. Mm-hmm. But where do you think the country needs to be on the back end? And I do think that we do need governors running for president because governors are CEOs of the states and they balance budget, they create jobs, they build roads, they clean roads. Um, no offense to my colleagues in the United States Senate or whatever right. that, right. you know, it's different. I don't have, a governor doesn't have a filibuster. We don't, you know, talk issues. You got to act every single day. And I just think the model uh, of Virginia, I mean, as I say, we went from red to blue. To have, I think it's important for governor. I think a southern governor brings a certain perspective. I think a southern governor who grew up in New York brings another perspective. <laughs> right, that's but, for sure. And but all- not about me. This is about what do we do in America? How do we, all the great things I talk about we did in Virginia that, you know, we're the first state to do a workforce performance development grant that we have all these open jobs, but our education system's not given the skills. So we redid our whole education system. We'll pay the cost for you to go and get a credential in Virginia. We'll move you right into the workforce. And that's why I've come out, you know, free college, some candidates talk about. That's not the answer, Dell. You're not going to, why is the Democratic Party supporting paying for Terry McCall's five kids to go to college? I can right. afford it. Mm-hmm. What we need to focus on are the people most in need. That's why I was glad as governor I put a record amount into financial aid and also put a record amount in so the lowest tuition increases we had in 12 years. You know, I leaned in on health care, on providing thousands of pregnant women dental coverage. 
So the things we did in Virginia, I believe, are the things we need to do for the country. We need a results-oriented, job-creating nominee for President of the United States of America who respects everybody's dignity. We need a massive infrastructure bill. First thing I would do as president, got to do infrastructure. Trillions of dollars we have to spend to rebuild it. You know, we ought to have job training for life for everybody who gets a job. And there's so many things. And that's the reason I'm excited when I think about it, but I haven't made that final decision and I'll make it probably in the next month. Well, you really sound like a strong candidate who's really thinking about yeah. it very hard and very concerned about these issues. And uh, I must commend yeah. you for that. You sound like you're, you're, you know, you're giving it your best thought. My, yeah. You're going to be faced with uh, a number of competitors out there and some of them are moving toward Medicare for All, for example, and some are moving to lots of other issues that may be shifting more to the yep. left. Where do, you, where do you come in your unique uh, yep. position if you, if you decide to do it? And I, and I just was on Morning Joe when I was talking about this because they were asking about the Green New Deal and they were asking about Medicare for All. And, and I really, these phrases and litmus tests, I'm not a fan of, Dell, to be honest with you. Right. Uh, I'm, I'm for, for health care. I'm for every single American uh, has health care, not access to health care, actually has health care, and it's cheaper. Mm -hmm. We did that in Virginia, and we can do that in this country. That is the goal. Call it whatever you want. Everybody gets coverage. You make it cheaper. There's things we need to do on prescription drugs to bring those prices down. We actually need to do it. On the Green New Deal, we talk about it's a non-binding Senate resolution, and I don't know why everybody is so, you know, they're all talking. It's a non-binding. Climate change is real, right? serious. Uh, as governor, I presided over uh, the second most vulnerable state in America behind Louisiana, the Hampton Roads region, Norfolk. On a day it rains, half the streets are closed. I dealt with this. That's why I put a record amount into renewable solar. I announced with Amazon the largest solar field in the entire mid-Atlantic, a record investment. I used executive authority to have Virginia become the first Southern state to join the regional greenhouse gas initiative. So I understand these issues. So for me, I don't talk about it. I've actually done things. And right. I think that's what's important is everybody say, are you for this? Yes or no. And you know, these are big complex issues. I have fought for this party for 40 years of my life. Mm -hmm. And I'm very proud of my affiliation with this great party. And I have some, Big, bold ideas, and I love and and I love it with some of these new members of Congress who've come in with these big ideas. I think it's great. I love it. Right. Uh, I think uh, our new Congresswoman AOC, she's brought a lot of passion, a lot of excitement. That's a good thing. Right. But you also There's don't get you don't get hung up on the labels about socialism or capitalism. Uh, you are an action-oriented governor that says, you know, I want to get results. Bingo. You hit it right on the head. I care about results. So I want to propose things and do things like I did as governor. First, we have first in the nation for, you know, employer national service. I'm first in the nation on a workforce. Things we can get done. I am very results oriented. I did not make, and if you go back and look at my website, uh, the campaign pledges I made in 2013, which was, a, which was a binder full of pledges, you go back and we got like 95% of the things I promised when I ran for governor that we actually were able to get done. If I'd had a Democratic legislature, I would have been at 100%. But, <laughs> sure. you know, that's what matters. I'm sure. Hey, you people know, want politicians 
They want you to do your job and help their lives. You know, they want to get in the roads and not spend two hours going to see their kids play a ball game. They want to make sure their children have high paying jobs and can provide for their family. They want to make sure they got health care and they can afford it in its quality. Voters don't ask too much. They just and ask for you. Focus on those things. We'd be in a much better place today. And if I disagree with you, and Dell, you and I can disagree, that's okay. Mm-hmm. And this attitude today that if you're a Republican, I can't talk to you. I mean, for, I got 70% of my governor's bills done through a Republican legislature. It's all about working together, compromising, and moving the ball forward. But, you know, it's either my way or the highway. That's just not how you're successful. You're not successful in business. You're not successful in life. And you're not going to be successful in politics. You bring a lot to the party. Before we close, I have a couple of one or two other questions, but I want our listeners to know that this is a fly on the wall podcast. Uh, I'm speaking with the former governor of Virginia, Terry McAuliffe, former chair of the National Democratic Committee, uh, who is considering running for president in 2020. And he's going to make a decision probably over the next two or three weeks. The last thing I want to ask you, uh, Governor, is, you know, you're a formidable fundraiser. I, I think anyone who's thinking about yeah. you're getting into the race, you have an incredible amount of breath and raising money. And the last question I have for you is, you just said you had dinner the other night with the Clintons. Uh, you've been very much involved with Bill Clinton's campaign, and uh, 92 is re-election, 96, Hillary Clinton and her uh, yeah. campaigns in 2008, 20. 16, uh, you have raised money for the Democratic National Committee. What was that conversation about the other night? I'm curious. Well, I have raised a lot. And, you know, <laughs> and, and remember, you know, I've been a full-time volunteer for this party. You know, I right. was lucky successful as an entrepreneur, so I didn't pay take pay for any of this. So, right. you know, I went out and helped causes. And, you know, I always used to say, Dale, I asked someone for a check. I'd always do it with a smile, and I'd always – supporting a great cause or a great candidate. What's the worst thing someone can say to you, Dell, if you don't get a check? <laughs> no. No, exactly. No. No, I wouldn't have had a date in high school if I took no for an answer. I mean, goodness <laughs> gracious. You know, so, so I've enjoyed it. And, but listen, I've been friends with the Clintons for a long, long time. Right. Uh, you know, he was a great president. You look at the 26.3 million new jobs created under his term. People are going to find this hard to believe. The young people listening to hell. You remember we had two years of budget surpluses? Yes, under Clinton. Think of that. People forget that. No deficit. No question. Surpluses running with the federal government, and they used it to pay down the debt. And then the Bush administration came in and then, got, you know, overnight eliminated the, uh, you know, with the tax cuts. And then obviously uh, all the wars we fought just eliminated all of that. And right. we've been great friends. But I say, because people say, well, what about the Clinton, blah, blah. They're friends, and right. I'm a loyal guy, and they will always be my friends. And but it's we got to look forward. We got to look to the future. And they were not part of my governorship, and wouldn't be part of my present. But we're, we're friends, and I don't walk away from my friends. Uh, as you know, Dell, I'm with you for life. Everybody's really, with you when you're winning. Who's with you when you're down? That's what I want to know. Well, you have been a very good friend, and I really appreciate your being on our podcast. Uh, uh, we're going to close out, Terry. Any thoughts you'd have to young people who are listening? This has been an incredible uh, uh, conversation uh, You, uh, from your business days as a young entrepreneur at age 15 for all the things you've done in business world yeah. and in politics. Any last words you might want to say to some of the young listeners or to others yeah. on this podcast? Yeah, and I would say, and I, would say you know, I wrote a book called What a Party, 
which is my life and business and politics. It is one of the funniest reads, I think. I'm not getting paid for it anymore, so I'm not hawking the book. I'm just saying. Right. But for young people today, you know, as a kid who literally had to start his first business to pay for college, uh, who would never take no for an answer, I would tell young people today, be entrepreneurial. Um, you know, shoot for the moon every single day. You're not going to get it. You'll end up at the stars, which you're much better off. But stay positive. Uh, the thing that... Um, I think through the social media and all that goes on today, that the constant fighting antagonism that goes back and forth, it creates such a sour environment. Always be happy. You know, I'm a happy warrior. I always have been. I get out of bed. I am so fired up every single day. Be nice to people. Help people. You and I can disagree, but this idea that it's virtual warfare and combat with someone on the other political side, I just don't quite understand that. At the end of the day, we live in the greatest nation on earth. I have traveled. I can't even count the number of countries. I've done business all over the globe. There is nothing like Dell coming back to the United States of America. Sure, we can do a lot of things better, and that's what we should work on together. But for young people, take risks while you're on. You only live once. Take chances. You're going to fail. That's okay. Dust yourself off. Get back in the arena again the next day. And be positive. Be happy. Uh, and you'll have a great life. And. You know, don't sit around with lemon suckers. I just, you know, <laughs> negative. I got, I got zero time for them. Don't even get them in my universe. Be happy and go out and help people. You're going to have a great life. It's the greatest country in the world. The opportunities are ceaseless for you if you take advantage of it. Thank you so much. Last comment I'll make. Uh, your words are very, very inspiring. I mentioned before I have uh, uh, four adult sons and 11 grandchildren. And one grandson when he was 10 years old, uh, Justin Lewis, uh, wrote about his grandfather, and I have it on my mantle at home. Uh, he's, he, he was 10 years old, and he said, my grandfather was a U.S. ambassador, and he said, uh, I love my grandfather because of two things. Number one, he's achieved the, the, this level because he, was, he got good grades and he was nice to people. And I think yeah. that's exactly what you just said. Uh, yeah. Solid education, uh, good foundation. And being nice to people. So I, I, your hand out, help someone up the ladder. You know, I've always tried to inspire my kids to go out. I've, you know, my kids, my oldest daughter spent a couple of years in Africa saving elephants. That was her passion. And son who's a Marine now today, but you know, he and my, the third daughter went over and worked in a refugee camp in Palestine uh, for women and children. So I've always told my kids, go out when you're young, try some different things. You got your whole life to go out and do something unique, do something different. And I'm very proud of all five of my kids. Uh, I have a daughter who's going to be going over to China this uh, this summer. Uh, she's a freshman at Syracuse. And, you know, when you're young, go out and try it. Do Absolutely. something new and come out of the box. Well, this has been an incredible thing. I'd like to ask one more thing. Uh, could, could we come back uh, for another episode to Fly on the Wall podcast? Because I'd like to hear about your decision over a couple of weeks. Uh, I'd like to stay in touch sure. with you. I'd like to invite you back on the podcast. Thanks, Dale. Love to do it. Okay. Thank you so much. You've been a tremendous right. friend and good luck. And I look forward Thank to talking to you it. soon. Thanks, Terry. All right. All right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Fly on the Wall podcast, Conversations with Ambassador Delano Lewis. I just had a wonderful conversation and very inspirational one with former governor of Virginia and former head of Democratic National Committee, Terry McAuliffe. Uh, This is Fly on the Wall podcast, conversations with Ambassador Delano Lewis. Till next time, Godspeed. Thank you. You have been listening to the Fly on the Wall podcast. 
For more information about this episode and previous episodes, plus great merchandise and more, please visit our website at flyonthewallpodcast.com today. 